Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of On the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai, and I'm the editor in chief of Auto Trader. And my name is Dan Alika, and I am Auto Trader's road test editor. And Jody, it happened again. What happened? I was driving in this morning. <gasps> I was cruising along, and there was this matte black BMW X6 in front of me. Well, he was behind me in, in the adjacent lane. And he came speeding up, and then he changed lanes in front of me and didn't signal. And then he changed lanes back, and he did signal. And I was like, okay, maybe that one was a fluke. Maybe he, you know, missed it. Maybe his bulb was out. I don't know. Okay. But then we drove together for almost 10 kilometers. We were just going in the same direction. And that entire time... We had to make a left-hand turn, and he did not signal. He changed lanes five times and did not signal a single one of them. This whole thing with BMWs, the not, stereotype exists oh, for a reason, I is, guess. I hate to like <laughs> let down those BMW drivers out there who feel attacked by this, but it's just like more often than not, do better. You just you see it all the time. Yeah, and it's not singling out BMW drivers. It's just like why does it keep happening? Yeah, I know. I, I think for me, one of my biggest pet peeves when driving around is when you're in a similar situation where you just happen to be following someone for a really long time and you witness them make a string of mistakes yeah. one after the other. Just brutal. And that just usually when, when I see stuff, I usually give people the benefit of the doubt because everyone makes mistakes. Of but course. when you witness it happening again and again and again, yeah. ooh, that gets hard. Yeah, because you're like, oh, it's not a fluke, right? And yeah. that's why at first I was, was like, benefit of the doubt yeah. was there. I went, oh. He didn't signal that first lane change, but he signaled the next one because there was a guy up ahead who was who was waiting to turn left down a side street. So he dodged back to the right and changed lanes. And I was like, cool, he signaled and he, he did what he needed to do. But then the, for the rest of that drive, like 10 kilometers of You were just, like, I'm going to tell the podcast about oh this. Oh, my God. I just don't. It's like laughable. You know, I'm like, listen, I always say it. The rest of us aren't mind readers. Yeah. I don't know. And that bus driver didn't know that you were going to change lanes. And when you're making a left-hand turn, it's just simple stuff. I, I don't mean, get and, it. And Dan says this as a person who will signal even if there is not a single soul around Because him. what do I always say? If you do it when no one's around, then you're definitely going to do it when there are other people around. It's Create just a, good habit. a good habit. That's all it comes down to. Anyways. Rant over. Yes. Until the next BMW who doesn't signal oh, crosses uh, tune you. Tune in next episode. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, a few episodes we talked about cars that were that will be discontinued that won't be around for 2024. Yeah. And so that got us talking a lot. And so there have been a lot of great cars that have been discontinued throughout the years that we really wish would make a comeback. Yeah. And so if you haven't listened to that previous one, scroll back a couple more and listen to that one first. Um, because those ones are ones that you can still buy right now, but you won't be able to buy in a couple months. Yeah. The cars that we're going to talk about today, you haven't been able to buy for some time now, a couple years, and we miss them a lot. Yeah. Um, and you'll notice a trend with a lot of these vehicles that we're going to mention. Mostly rooted in practicality. Exactly. Yeah. They're small vehicles, not a lot of SUVs on this list. Yeah. Um, and so we're no going to No SUVs on this list. There's none. We might yeah. we might think of a couple. Every time we do these episodes, we'll we'll always go on a tangent and think of other things that we missed. Well, we just in in the last episode, we just with JD, we just talked about the the Chevy Astro and I was like, "Oh, what a great 
you know, EV candidate. Okay, so let's talk about that one in this episode too. So okay. if you remember the Chevy Astro, it was that big boxy van that was really popular in like the 90s, yeah, I would 80s say. 80s into the 90s. It was, it. I don't have data here, but I feel like it was like kind of mid to late uh, 80s all the way through into like 2004, you could still buy it. Yeah, and so you wanted that van to make a comeback because first of all, you love vans, but Vans tell them are why. great, <laughs> but that one, but I thought of it, I was like, not only is the name, it just makes sense with, with EVs. They're always, you know, looking for these kind of space agey sort of names. So the Chevy Astro, it just makes sense, but it's big, right? And if you take a look at the Volkswagen ID Buzz, which is Volkswagen's electric van uh, that is coming out next year it uses this big footprint so that it can have a big battery so that it can presumably have lots of range but an astro would be exactly that and it would be great for work vans right for you know all of these contractors out there plumbers and hvac technicians or even for like outdoorsy people like you love outdoorsy people well, I'm not one. I know. But you are. Well, a I mean, bit. you could get an Astro van that's electric and put oh. your bike in there. You can go camping in it. You can sleep in it. I love that idea. So yeah, that that to me, but that was one of those vans. Like I understand it was, you know, big and heavy and and inefficient, but it was also like the flip side of it was it was cool. It could tow a ton because it was it was a body on frame. So it was like a truck frame underneath this van. It was they were they were so spacious. And I feel like if they were to make a comeback, I want it to look very much like the original model. Like, just give me a box on wheels. I think it would be so cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Right? Because if you look like the Mercedes uh, Metris is kind it's the same idea. Like, it's unibody. It's not body and frame. But still, it's like if you looked at that and and had like an Astro off in the distance, you'd be like, oh, I, I see how how that, you know, van has has kind of morphed and turned into this latest iteration of it. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities to see something like that. I feel like minivans, maybe if we got like a cool retro looking one, like the ID Buzz, people are really hyped about that. And I feel like if they came out with an Astro that looks like the old one, people would be excited because we're also nostalgic for that, right? Yeah, I don't think it would have the same effect. Like the ID Buzz is based on, you know, like the old Volkswagen Transporter. Like that's such an iconic design. You think of like, you know, California going to yeah. the beach and hippies and, you know, all that fun stuff. So it's like, it has more of that universal nostalgia. Whereas like the Astro is like for you, you go, oh yeah. like Well, pretty much anyone the... our age, right? Can you imagine? So imagine people our age who have children yeah. who are not concerned crazy about- Crazy people. Yeah, crazy people. We don't have children, but like- People who aren't concerned about like looking cool, like, oh, minivans aren't cool. Like, I disagree with that, but I think people our age would be super nostalgic for something like that. I'd like to think so. I don't know. I'm hopeful. Anyways, let's get to this, the rest of the list, starting with one that might be controversial, uh, the Mercedes-Benz B-Class. So the B-Class was like a little hatchback that they had um, got discontinued a few years ago now. Yeah, you haven't been able to buy one for a while. Um, but it was at that time the most affordable Mercedes you could buy. Um, yeah. It, and looked, it was just practical. Yeah, it was like it was very tall for a hatchback. So yeah. it had lots of room in it. You know, you're right that you said as we started talking, this list was going to just automatically expand because right away that makes me think of the Toyota Prius V. 
Oh, yeah. What a great car. So practical and so efficient. And it kind of looked like a like a Mercedes B-Class a little bit. It did have that same silhouette. Yeah. Um, and so it was very affordable to buy the B-Class back then. Yeah. I think it was only front-wheel drive. No, I think there was an all-wheel oh, drive version. Oh, was there? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was just, it was very, like, the, the B, or it used to be, an A-class in Europe that you could buy that was the, the kind smaller. of predecessor. Yeah, but it was the same, like, shape where it's, like, you know, kind of like a tiny van. Didn't have sliding <laughs> doors, but that was, was like, the idea, right? It was an MPV. Yeah. Um, so it was just rooted in practicality, not necessarily in, in luxury. And that's one of those things where when you look at Europe, you know, Mercedes isn't necessarily a luxury brand. Like, yes, you can buy luxurious Mercedes models, but it is just a, it's, it's like the do it all brand in Europe. If you take a look, like you, you go to Germany and it's like all the cabs are E-class sedans, right? Yeah. Um, they're not luxury line, like, Ooh, I'm getting into a Mercedes. Yeah, they they're, have like cargo vans and stuff. Yeah. But it's like this idea that they're, that it's just a, Car company that builds cars that people buy, they're like affordable, they do what they're intended to do. And then if you want a luxury model, like a, a luxurious version, you can get that too. Um, the B-Class was like the ultimate take on that. And it didn't translate extremely well in the North American market. Like that, because we think of Mercedes as a luxury brand. Yeah. And this one was never meant to be that. No. And so I think it didn't meet a lot of people's expectations here for what they the, expected from Mercedes. It's the same thing now you're seeing with, we, we just talked about the Mercedes Metris. That was never, like, if you get into that, yes, you can see that it's a Mercedes. You can tell it's got the same, you know, dash and infotainment, but it's like families have opted to buy those thinking of them, oh, it's a Mercedes and it's got room for eight people. And then they're buying them up. A, they're leaving, you know, like contractors and, and like, let's say like shuttle drivers um, without options because they're being snatched up. And then they're not meeting expectations because they're not luxurious. They're not, it, it is a utilitarian vehicle. It's mm -hmm. not a luxury vehicle, but people are like, ooh, a Mercedes and it's a van. I'm all for it. You want to buy it, but set, you know, set your expectations accordingly. Right. But anyways, the B-Class, that was a cool car. I wish people liked it more. I used to date someone who drove a white Mercedes B-Class, and I always joked that it looked like a snowbank. Wow. That's, yeah, it was very savage. That was a that. I mean, I can see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's the shape, because yeah. it was just so practical. It yeah. was just kind of a blob, yeah. and it was great. I loved that car. Um, speaking of practical blobs. I, we love practical blobs. Yeah, the Honda Fit. I love the Honda Fit. I've said it before. It was the first car I ever reviewed as an automotive journalist. Yep. And it was so practical. Yep. My favorite feature was that it had these things called magic seats. So the rear seat cushion flipped up so you could store taller things yeah. back there and not have to like fold down the seats uh, for the I'll trunk. never forget that it was like the first gen Fit had like four and a half feet of cargo volume or cargo height um, when you would flip the the seat cushions up. So if you want, you could like, I don't know, if you bought like a big tall plant, like plant. 
you could put it in there and not have to worry about yeah. like trying to f- fit it in and tilting it on its side. It is amazing how many things you could put inside of a Honda Fit. Our yeah. good friend Steve Elmer to this day still drives a yep. red Honda Fit. Yep. In its previous life, this Honda Fit was a pizza delivery car. So you can still kind of see a faint outline of like the pizza delivery decal. <laughs> but it's still going strong. But Steve was a musician. And so he put whole drum sets in there. Yeah. No problem at all. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. We love the Honda Fit. My friends Carrie and Allie, they they're like their lives are rooted in practicality. They they went from a fit to a Subaru Outback. Oh, perfect. Just all about the because why not? I get it. Like, you know, it is sometimes it's nice if you have, I don't know, room for multiple vehicles or you just really like driving fun cars, but it's like to me, cars at the end of the day or vehicles are supposed to like do a job, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's an appliance for a lot of people. Yeah, you don't want something that doesn't do what you need it to do. So yeah. it's like good to look at it. Now, I don't. I think people stray too far in the opposite direction. I've said this before. It's like you take one load of stuff to the dump in the spring and go, "Well, I need to buy a pickup truck." And it's like, no, you don't. Yeah. But like, be realistic about what you do with your vehicle. And that, like, for me, having my golf wagon makes a lot of sense because whether I, you know, want to go camping or go biking or whatever, it's like it works, but it's still a small car and it's still an efficient car. It's amazing. And speaking of the golf, the golf wagon has been discontinued and also the regular golf. So right now in Canada, you can only buy the GTI and the Golf R. Yeah. So the regular golf, you cannot buy anymore. And that's a huge shame. I am a golf owner. Dan is a golf owner. You know, a lot of our other automotive journalist friends also own golfs. And I said, I think that says a lot about like how good the car is, but how like well-rounded is it? It's fun to drive. Um, I have a diesel one, so it's like extremely efficient. It's spacious. Your your wagon can hold even more stuff than my golf. Amazing. We just we just I said it on the on the last episode. Becky and I just drove out east, um, and I you know care a lot about my bike, so I didn't want to put it on the roof for that whole drive. It's like you know two thousand kilometers out to Cape Breton, Uh, so I put it inside and. We had two full-size suitcases, a cooler, backpacks, and there was still tons of room inside. Uh, And I brought back, if I remember correctly, I think I brought back um, 81 tall cans of beer. (laughs) So much beer. I know. And you wouldn't even know. It was because there was just so much room in there. It's amazing. That was a big shame. And I'll tell you what, like, sure, wagon sales and hatchback sales have declined. But the only reason that the golf wagon doesn't exist anymore is because Volkswagen wanted to bring the Taos to market. And the reason Volkswagen wanted to bring the Taos to market is because it can charge more money for that vehicle. There is no other reason. And it's not just Volkswagen, any Mm -hmm. brand that you see replacing small cars with crossovers. They're only doing it because they are able to charge more for them. And the Golf Wagon was really cool because for a while it was one of the only vehicles that you could have with with all-wheel drive and a manual transmission, which you can't get anymore. So besides being really practical, just the option of having that available was really cool. 
One of my good friends, uh, Marina, she runs a vintage store called Rainbows and Retros. Her and her partner. Wow, what a, just a casual shout out. Yeah, just a little name drop there. But they have uh, a golf wagon. Yeah. And they were recently like, oh, our lease is coming up. What should we get? And I'm like, keep, keep your wagon yeah. as long as you can because they don't make them anymore. And yeah. I see... She'll she'll show me like huge dressers that she'll bring home like that fit in your wagon. She's like, yeah, and it had space to spare. Yeah, it's, and I find that incredible. They're just it's such an amazing car. And now I do want to just back it up a little bit. Like Volkswagen tried pretty hard um, to keep the Golf and the Golf wagon afloat. So not just the addition of all wheel drive, but the all track um, was you know kind of like a Volkswagen Golf if it was built by Subaru. So it had a little more ground clearance, some, some body, body cladding. cladding. It looked, uh, it lo as Jody would like to say, it looked like it was for outdoorsy people. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just want to be fair, like Volkswagen tried, but at the same time, you know, Volkswagen went, wait a minute, if we build a similarly sized crossover, we can just charge smaller. more money. Yeah. It's, it's, we think it's very unfair. Yeah. But anyways, that's one that we're that we uh deeply miss. Another one by Volkswagen that isn't rooted in practicality, it's rooted in cuteness only is the Volkswagen Beetle. I love the Beetle. First, I got First press car I ever tested was the Volkswagen Beetle. Really? I got my yeah. first speeding ticket in a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, that's an accomplishment. It was my mom's car. It was a turbo oh, okay. Beetle that, convertible. Those things could haul. They were fast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why my mom trusted me with it. But yeah, the Beetle, that to was me. was so cute. Yeah. And it's just like. Remember to, they had a little vase and a flower in them? That was the first gen of the new Beetle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the one that I drove was like the, the kind of last gen like the 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 most uh recent yeah. one before it was discontinued remember they like kind of flattened the roof a little bit it so looked it pretty just, cool still I, and they the beetle classic came out so it had those dog, dog dish, dish wheels hubcaps on it and like they had the dune <sighs> remember the beetle dune but that was a bit of a shame that it didn't come in all-wheel drive i know for because me I that thought, would have been icing on the cake well yeah like if that's what people are are yeah. after like why not right and and again i feel like the beetle should come back, but as an electric car. How cool would that be? I think it would be cool, but my – it's the same thing with, like, the Miata is, like, what kind of range are you going to get know. out of that? Like, there's no room for a battery pack. I know. And in North America – I know we get this a lot and people talk about range and whatever, and it's, like, expectations versus reality and what you're actually doing with it. But it's, like, that's just facts. I've talked about this a lot. There's that K K KPMG study, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um and it's like 79% of Canadians say they wouldn't buy an EV unless it could travel at least 400 kilometers on a full charge. That doesn't seem unreasonable to me. And I don't see how until you get into solid state batteries or some other form of, of you know, fuel cell type yeah. thing. Like, I don't see how something as small as a Beetle could I do mean, the trick. I mean, a Beetle wasn't too much smaller than something like a Chevy Bolt. Uh, I you think would, so. Oh yeah, big time. Because hmm. I mean, it was only two doors. The wheelbase was tinier. Yeah, that's true. That's the thing, right? Is like that battery pack needs to fit between the between the wheels, and it was just like really stubby. So that's a sad one. Now here's another one that came with all wheel drive. It was a good size. It was a crossover before crossovers in a way, but I still think of it as a hatchback. 
Oh, I see. So Dan's talking about the Toyota Matrix. What a car. What a great car. Again, yeah. practical. So practical. Becky is on her second. That's how happy she is with it. It's just a great, her mom drove them like great cars. They're just practical. They were built in Ontario. They were built at Toyota's plant in Cambridge alongside the Pontiac Vibe. That's right. Yeah. So that was like, and that was one of those um, interesting Usually when you get situations like that, they're what you would call like a badge engineered vehicle. So uh, there was the Nissan NV200 was this little work van. And then there was a Chevrolet version called the City Express. I remember that. But it was literally just an NV200 with a Chevy badge on it. You get that, you know, from time to time. This was the, the more rare occurrence where... It was mechanically identical, but the vibe looked, it had its own vibe, some might say. <laughs> it did look like a completely different but car. But it was built on the same assembly line. It just used the same yeah. platform. So the wheelbase was the same. Overall dimensions were pretty much identical. Obviously, yeah. you're going to get a few variances because of the different bodies. But um, so the vibe gets kind of an honorable mention here. Yeah, because they're like taller hatchbacks, kind of like the B class that we started the yeah. episode with, right? But you Just could a get taller... it. You could get the, the the both of them. So I think the first gen you could not get all wheel drive. You could pick between two different engines. So there was like, I think it was like the XR and the XRS, and they had so the XRS had a little bit more power, uh, and then and I don't remember what the Vibe version was called, but anyways, then when the second gen version came out. That was available with all-wheel drive. And I think, I could be wrong, any current or former Matrix owner out there can, can let us know at expert at trader.ca. Uh, I think you could get all-wheel drive with manual. Cool. That's Super a great cool. combination that you really can't find that much of these days. The last one would have been the Subaru Crosstrek. Was that the last one? Yeah. So there's none right now? None. Oh, wow. Well, no. It, for, it, like performance cars, you can still get all-wheel drive manual. I'm just talking about like from a... For, like a mainstream model perspective. Yeah. Okay. So like bef now it's like what? The Volkswagen Golf R, the GR Corolla, the Subaru WRX. Am I missing anything? Can you still buy Porsches and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point too. Um, any, you know, number of like 911 like a Carrera. You can get four-wheel yeah, yeah, four yeah. drive and... Uh, yeah, yeah. all-wheel drive with a, with a manual. But, Got it. Um, but in terms of like main... Like when it's a, you know, yeah. an economy car. An everybody car. <laughs> yeah, like that was the cool thing about the... And I, what was going back to the Golf Wagon, the Golf All-Track launched and that was all-wheel drive. And then there was enough demand. I remember talking to Thomas Tetzlaff, who's a hilarious, wonderful man. He's the the... PR manager for Volkswagen Canada, um, there was enough demand that that four motion all wheel drive system was brought into the golf wagon the following year, but not with the all track kit. So right. you could just get like a regular looking, regular ride height, all of that stuff, but with all wheel drive because the demand was there for it. So again, I think, you know, Volkswagen did try, but I know maybe that's on us as, as people. Well, th that's the thing. We always complain about, you know, oh, we wish there were more wagons, but then people don't buy wagons. So, like, we, yeah. we understand why these cars uh, are discontinued. We just wish that people would approach car buying with 
with just being more honest about what their actual needs are versus what their wants are. I've also never heard like a compelling argument for like wagons or minivans being uncool. Like no, there's no people say, well, it's the sliding doors, but it's like, okay. I but love sliding doors. So do I. And it's like, at what point does your ego need to be left at the door where you're like, it's uncool, but then your kid isn't like swinging the back door open and dinging some car in a parking lot or like, you know, I don't, just loading stuff in and out. I like, have another one that just came to my mind. Remember it. the Mazda 5? Yeah. It was not a minivan. It was it had a much smaller footprint than a minivan, but it had sliding doors. Yeah. And you can get it with a manual transmission. Yeah. Oh, you know what I saw? This one is like a way back. This is like up there with the Astro. And I know you, your family used to own one. Um, but when we were in Cape Breton, I saw a Mazda MPV. Oh, yeah. I love those. And that was, so for those of you who don't remember the MPV, because it was discontinued like, I don't know, almost yeah, 20 years ago. ago um, it was a, it was a minivan, but it was like, you could get it with four wheel drive. It was kind of like, you know, again, if Subaru built a, a minivan, it was so cool. They were, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was like four years old and we were buying a new house and our real estate agent drove a Mazda, a green, like a forest green Mazda MPV. And I used to think that it was the coolest thing. That one is of these cool. open houses and her MPV, I, I'll never forget. And she had a gold one too. Remember that like, that it I was, think the one my family had was either gold or it could have been the black and white one. I don't really remember. I just, the gold and the green were the two like kind of, you know, most popular, at least in my memory, those were like the most popular colors. And yeah, this lady had, had an MPV. I can't remember her name, but I remember her van. It's generally how I remember people. Just remember people by their cars. Yeah. Who are you again? <laughs> oh, you're the person who drives oh, the. Oh, <laughs> you're the caravan guy. <laughs> Um, before our Ask an Expert segment today, here is a message from our friends at AutoTrader. Save time and money by using AutoTrader, Canada's most trusted place to buy and sell new and used cars. AutoTrader has the most cars and one of the best features is price badging so you can feel more confident that you're getting a good deal. So today's Ask an Expert comes to us from Jason from Alberta. Hi, What's Jason. Up, Jason. Hello, my name is Jason. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I live in Calgary, and I like that you guys are also located in Canada. My wife and I recently purchased a new 20, uh, 2022 RAV4 LE all-wheel drive in February of 2022. My wife is the primary driver, and I drive an older model F-150. Okay. I do a lot of... Wait a minute. Is, th is this... The Jason that was asking about premium fuel and all that stuff a long time ago, episodes ago. It might be. Because he was talking and I used to own the same generation. His was like 2003 F-150. If I, th I think this might be the same Jason. I mean, he says he's a big fan of the podcast. Hey, anyways. So it could be. Anyway, welcome back. <laughs> um, I do a lot of the minor work and maintenance on our vehicles, stuff like oil changes, brake pads, oil, air, and cabin filter replacements. My question to you is about dealership recommended maintenance. Mm -hmm. So most items, I'm going to kind of abbreviate this. It's a very long okay. email, but most uh, items are checking the drivetrain and like topping off fluids. So he's taken the RAV4 in for two recommended service appointments, the 8,000 kilometer and the 16,000 kilometer. Mm -hmm. 
I feel that for the minimal work they are doing, it's a waste of money. If I were to skip the service appointments and conduct these basic checks on my own, would that void the manufacturer warranty? So this is a two-part question. That's the first part. Okay. So the answer is a tough one. I hate to leave it as a I don't know or a maybe, but that really is what it's going to come down to. I've seen uh, situations not with Toyota, but I've seen situations where warranties haven't been honored um, or have been partially honored through goodwill programs because people haven't followed service schedules. I've also seen it because there's a, you know, whatever they call that, but like a, a right to repair laws where it's like you can take your vehicle to um, a non, you know, branded dealership. You take it to your local garage uh, and and that's perfectly allowed. Same thing with you know, doing oil changes in your drive or your garage or whatever, that's not going to void your warranty. What I will say, I agree, or I, I at least see your perspective that yes, sometimes it may seem minimal uh, when you're looking at those, it's like eight, 16, 24,000 kilometer service. Sometimes it flip-flops. Look in your owner's manual. I'm sure, you know, Jason, it sounds like you're, you're pretty on top of this stuff. Um, that's where you'll see the service schedule. So you'll know going into it that, okay, I'm coming up on a service B, service C. What I will say, I personally would follow that service schedule because of the peace of mind. Some of the stuff that they're checking that you may not check or may not be comfortable checking is stuff like your diff fluid. Um, that's one of those jobs that's a little bit tricky, a little bit messy. And if you don't do it and you fly, I'm not saying that the RAV4 is known for, for, you know, frying rear differentials. It's just like, you never know. And this is a, a brand new, you know, it's only a, a year and a half old. Like I would probably stick to the service schedule and just keep doing your oil changes and yeah, stuff like that. I get it. Uh, especially cause it's fun. You're not really saving money. This is what I talk about with my friends a lot that it's like, you're doing it for your yourself more than anything. Right. Because yeah you know, the cost of oil and filters and all that stuff. And the time you have to invest. Exactly. Into it. That's the big one for me. So I'm, I'm all for you, you know, keep, keep going down this path of doing the, especially stuff like your cabin air filter. Yeah. Don't get charged like 60 bucks to literally like drop your glove box and put that new filter in there. But I would at least keep on top of that service schedule to see when major, services are are required because you just never know and you don't want to have a situation where there's an issue with your transmission and you know they look at your service history and go well you never did the service at whatever it might be 72,000 kilometers where it was supposed to be a transmission flush therefore this problem is being you know blamed on on that uh that's where you might run into issues Okay, the second part of Jason's question is, don't most vehicles recommend changing the oil every 5,000 to 8,000 kilometers? On the dealer recommended maintenance schedule, they're changing the oil and filter every 16,000 kilometers using, using synthetic. This seems like a long time between oil changes. Is this due to the fact that they're using synthetic oil? I just wanted to get your take on this oil change frequency. Um, that's just modern modern vehicles. Yes, synthetic helps in that, but it's just that, um, you know, vehicle technology these days, engines, you know, heat management is a lot better. That's a huge one. Uh, and those longer intervals, it's great. I think that's always sort of been permissible. 
Um, but it was always, whether it was, you know, financially motivated or just, you know, taking the kind of safety first route of those tighter. Cause yeah, I remember growing up and it's like four or 5,000 kilometers between oil changes. And yeah, now you see 16,000 is kind of the norm now. That's amazing. I do mine at every 5,000. That's what wow. recommended is. Yeah. Really? Yeah. For my golf. Oh man. Mine, I think my golf is like 8,000. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I could probably stretch it a little bit more. I, again, my, my go-to is always, you know, check the owner's manual. Um, it's not, I'm not saying, you know, don't trust your dealer service advisor is, you know, going to give you sound advice, but it's just like for your, you know, make model in year, there can always be those slight variances. You just never know. So don't stick to like general advice. If you bought a used car and it doesn't have the owner's manual, order the owner's manual from the manufacturer or through your local dealership, because it is great to have, because it has that information. That way you're not just taking someone else's word for it. If you bump into, I don't know, another parent in the school parking lot and they're like, oh, well, my RAV4, I got to change the oil every 10,000 kilometers. So you start doing that because you just take their word for it, but yours can go 16,000. Think about the money you're saving. Yeah, that's over the, significant. It's huge. So just, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. But yeah, it's synthetic and it's also just, you know, engines these days are able to run further and more efficiently. And there's there the heat management has come a long way, and so yeah, if they're saying sixteen thousand, uh, and that's what it says in your owner's manual, then take that and and run with it. Jason also ends his email by saying, "Keep up the great podcasts. I love the content." Thank you so much, Jason. We really do appreciate it. Um, everyone's support. You know, this is episode what forty one. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. We're always, you know, we we try to do we try to discuss topics that are interesting to us um, because I think it, it helps get into it, but always we think about, you know, well, are people going to want to like listen to our ramblings and, you know, and so it's nice to know uh, that, that people like you, Jason do appreciate uh, what we're doing here. And, and so we really do. We are grateful for all the support that you and, and everyone else give us. And thank you for the feedback. It means so much to us. Um, and the whole reason we do this is to make car stuff simple for Canadians. Whoa. And so, you know, we love we love hearing that we're actually, you know, doing what we set out to do and making an impact. So thank you very much, Jason from Alberta. If anyone would have, if anyone would like to ask Dan or I some questions, you can email us at expert at trader.ca. All right. That's the end of this episode, everyone. Thanks well, for joining us. We'll see you guys on episode 42. I think we're going to talk about, ooh, how to keep your car safe from theft. Yeah, this is a very hot button issue right now. Car theft is a huge problem um, in, used to be just in big cities, but apparently now it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be demystifying what you can do, what insurance companies are doing, etc. And honestly, just some, some cheap, you know, tips and tricks to, to keep your vehicle safe from the, from, you know, any of those hassles that you just don't want to deal with. So catch that next time, episode 42. Thanks so much for joining us. And Jody, what do you always like to say? Drive safe and we'll see you next time. <laughs>